Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, creating and sustaining faithful ministries. Well, once again, welcome back to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister. And again, it's just my voice. You won't be hearing Rachel this week because once again, she's out with the kids. But we definitely plan in future episodes that you will hear her voice some more as I will take my turn uh, making sure that our kids are not screaming in the background of our podcast. In this episode, we pick up with the second part, uh, the final part of our interview with Lindsey Cranks from Open Table Nashville. Uh, At the end of the last part, um, Lindsay was just talking about how they go about recruiting staff and volunteers, and she really was focusing on the idea that if folks have the passion, they can be trained in the skill set. So they look for folks who are really passionate about the kind of work that they do, and then if they need training, they make sure that they get the appropriate training. So they're really after folks who are passionate about the kind of justice work they do. In this part of the episode, we're going to, in in this part of the interview in this episode, we're going to pick up with a a discussion uh, about mutuality and what it looks like when uh, ministry isn't just about uh, one group of folks giving stuff to another uh, group of folks, but actually about how there's an exchange that happens. And uh, Lindsay's going to talk about a whole lot more, so don't want to waste any more time. We'll get get right into that interview. But I do want to mention uh, real quick, and this is definitely not a waste of time, I do want to mention real quick again that Lindsay has a book coming out called Praying With Our Feet that should be out with Brazos Press um, in 2021, and hopefully we will be able to tell you more about that as time gets a little bit closer. And of course, we'll have uh, a link to her bio and blog in our show notes. But uh, right now, it's time to just get back to the conversation. So once again, here goes our talk or my talk with our friend and fellow rogue minister, Lindsey Cranks. That's a good word. One thing that you said in there I appreciate is, and you mentioned this earlier too, there's there's a clear mutuality and and sort of reciprocation here that that you're pulling folks in because they want to help, but it's also helping them grow uh, spiritually, morally, um, just as a human being, right? Like I think that's something that seems to be sometimes a missing piece in some of the organizations and ministries I've seen where it's a clearly a one-way transaction rather than an ongoing back and forth. Um, so I very much appreciate that about what y'all do because um, I think that's just absolutely necessary for, for a ministry to work, right, is you have to have, and by work I mean um, be faithful uh, to, to people's full humanity is there has to be a back and forth of some serious sort, right? Um, Definitely. We yeah. we learn as much, if not way more, from our friends, and we mm. are transformed as much, if not more, by our friends. 
than they probably are with us. And it's, but it's that radical mutuality that um, allows us not just to be that, you know, that benevolent liberator that's coming from on mm. high to help the yeah. helpless or whatever, but to really even out the scales and to be on the same level and to say, the image of God is in you. The image of God mm. is in me. The image of God is in us. And together, mm. um, together, we participate in the healing of each other and, and the liberation of each other. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's the model we train folks on, whether they're from, you know, a religious background or not, that, that shared humanity. Absolutely. It reminds me of a longer quote that I will probably read at some point on one of these episodes, if not this one. Um, from John Chrysostom, who was an early uh, church leader. And he, he said, when you reach your hand out to hand alms to the poor, they reach back to you like skilled doctors who heal your soul. And he has this whole extended quote about this, um, the way in which the reaching isn't just the one direction. If I remember correctly, there's a statue in Nashville um that looks like this. I can't remember the name of the organization, but where it looks like somebody's handing a sandwich and you can't tell which direction or um, that's going. And I think there's, there's something uh, neat about that when folks can't quite tell who's helping who, right? Because everybody's helping everybody and it, it, it gets sort of muddy and confusing. I think there's something uh, really inspiring about that. Yeah. I love that. So, to get back to some of this stuff on like charity justice, so there's all kinds of ways that people talk about models and stuff. So asset-based community development, people talk about housing first, people focus, some folks want to focus on like social enterprise. I just kind of want to hear what you think about some of that conversation, where y'all found your place in it, what new ideas you bring to this work or what ideas that you've latched onto. Um, from other organizations, communities that you found helpful, or sort of any additions or alternatives that you think organizations should be looking into if they're going to take uh, more than just sort of handing things out, but actually look into changing structures, look into building relationships, all of these kinds of things. What what kind of things would you say about that you think would be helpful for folks? Yeah, I think you, we all have to look at the models and the frameworks that are out there and then try to apply them to the best we can to the work that we're doing and the setting we're doing. I, some of these frameworks transcend settings, right? Like, I love the asset-based community development. It, it reminds me of the strength-based approach and framework and social work because mm. it, it just has these principles of like valuing the gifts and the capabilities and the talents everybody has. And when you look at somebody, not just seeing what they lack, right? It's mm. really easy to, to pass our friends on the streets who are asking for money or looking for jobs and to see everything they lack. Yeah. It's a different thing altogether to put on those, that lens that sees their strengths. Like, how have you survived the elements? How have you managed yeah. to stay intact? Like, you have a resiliency and you have strengths and capabilities that you have a lot to offer that can actually not only contribute to you changing the situation you're in, but also to changing this community and to changing us. So 
it's a completely different approach that really values the voices and the choices of the people directly affected. Mm. And so in whatever setting people are working in, I think that's, those are really important frameworks to keep in mind. Mm. Then, you know, housing first is really, I, we love this approach. It's that idea that housing is the foundation for stability for people. Mm-hmm. So instead of finding a friend on the street and being like, hey, before you can get into housing, you've got to jump through all these hoops. Mm-hmm. You've got to get stable on your meds. You've got to stop drinking. We know you're doing that to self-medicate, but you can't do that anymore. And then you've mm-hmm. got to jump through all these other hoops. Instead, Housing First takes a person and says, would you like to live inside? We've got a place. Would you like to be here? Mm-hmm. And they move in. And then they're surrounded by support. And when they're ready to work on those issues, the support is there for it. But but it says, you know, it's really hard for somebody that's been chronically on the streets with all these interlocking issues to jump through all the hoops and to know when they finish that two-month program, there's still not going to be a place for them to live because the waiting lists are long. Um, we're seeing, you know, Housing First work across the country yeah, and um, produce really great results, not only in helping to lower the costs of, you know, ER visits and jail visits and all these other things that cost the community a lot of money, um, but it's actually having a human benefit, too. People are staying in housing longer, mm. um, and that's it's like the human and the cost analysis both are are good so it's a yeah. really wonderful model to know about and to learn from um, yeah it, yeah absolutely go ahead yeah um i wanted to actually mention a couple other approaches that we use i also love social enterprise and mm. i think it works really well when the people that are directly affected have a voice in it and are getting mm. paid fairly um mm-hmm. for their work I almost like the cooperative model, almost like a little bit better social Mm -hmm. enterprise, like cooperative or something, because then the workers actually have part ownership of what Mm -hmm. they're doing. And that's a, that model has a lot of equity built into it. So again, other models to look at. Um, So it's not going to be sort of starting a business and then sort of hiring other people or something like that, but it's, it's seeing what sort of, and they kind of just put asset based stuff together with that, seeing what the the group of folks, you know, what kind of shared skills, talents, interests they have, and then kind of saying, okay, how can we, how can we take out of this all of these shared um, talents and interests and put that together into something that could make money, that could help pay for, you know, all of the things of life, right? Is that, that kind of what you're saying then? Totally. And, I think all of these models um, have pros and cons, right? Mm. Um, but I do think there's a lot to be learned from that kind of approach, that strength-based approach applied to social enterprise, you know? Mm. Um, a couple other frameworks I just wanted to mention are, you know, with Open Table National, we're an interesting nonprofit because we kind of combine a few different fields. We combine the social work field, so we're we're literally helping people get access to resources and housing and healthcare mm-hmm. and all of those things. 
And we use approaches like trauma-informed care, um, mm-hmm. as mentioned, to really take people's trauma seriously. And we draw from those evidence-based practices. Another field we kind of combine is the community organizing framework and model, mm-hmm. where in the larger justice scale, we're trying to shift the power balance in our community. Mm-hmm in favor of people that have been excluded from power, have been excluded from their livelihoods, their thriving. And Mm. that model involves meeting people where they are and helping them organize for their collective rights. Um, Mm. And that's we've done that a lot with different campsites that were facing closure. You know, the city says we're going to close your camp and – they come to us and they say, there's nowhere for us to go. Where are we going to go? And we help them organize for their rights, mm. human rights. The can I interject? Yeah. Because I, I remember um, coming with y'all on one of those visits to a campsite that then we pulled up and there was a bulldozer in there, you know, fixing a, to bulldoze it down. And I loved what y'all did because you went in and you said, okay, among talk amongst yourselves and figure out who are your best, best speakers, who'd be, you know, look the best, uh, who, who has the, the best ability to, to speak out about this. And then um, what kind of things do you need to do as a group to to share your story? And you kind of just were asking them all these sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. And then and the, the group that was at the campsite was having conversation about, okay, well, we nominate so-and-so to step up and be our media person, and so-and-so is going to make sure that this piece happens, and so-and-so. And I just I thought that was really this really amazing thing to watch because – my instinct would have been go in and say, okay, I'm going to go on the news for you and I'm going to tell your story because I've got a degree in rhetoric and I've got, well, you know, and it was just amazing because I watched that and I was thinking if I were then to see just, just a media piece, I realize there are other pieces of this, but if I were to see a news story and one of the folks from this camp is telling their story, how compelling that is. To hear that from the person, from one of the people who's experiencing that. I just, I was so amazed by how y'all did that. And I kind of just wish y'all could like make a video of y'all doing this and like share it with every organization in the country. Um, so they could sort of see how beautiful of a job y'all did with that. It was, it was really just an amazing thing to witness. And because it, what, what it did is, is it, it also sort of, for folks who are often told that they're not good enough, that whatever the, you know, kind of ways they're held down, it was to say to them, yeah, you can do this. You've got the ability within this group to put these pieces together, and we're going to just help you figure out how to do that. And that was so cool. It, it was just phenomenal to watch that and then see how – different people realize, oh, I am a gifted speaker. I am a gifted organizer. I am. A, I'll make sure that, that, that the, the, the troublemakers in our group stay in line or, you know, like just mm-hmm. those kind of things was just fantastic to witness. So I just wanted to, to kind of tell a little bit of that so folks can just get a little mm-hmm. glimpse into how y'all do that and do it so well. Yeah. You know, it's, I think you described it really well. We've done that with over half a dozen camps in Nashville Mm. and it's you know we've been successful in most of those organizing times too at shifting the public opinion in the interest of the camp residents instead of the Mm. interest of the city 
Mm. And we've, we've won more time. We won hotel vouchers. We've won no closure at all, you know, and, mm. and when I say we, I'm not saying open table. I'm saying the residents with us accompanying yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's different ways we can journey and accompany, um, marginalized folks. Mm. There's that model of trying to lead out in front of that person. If you're literally picturing two people walking, you step in front of the person, you're like, Hey, follow me. I know where you should go. Mm. Um, there's another model where you carry that person and that's not gonna, you're not going to be able to do that that long. And you mm. sure as hell don't need to ask them to carry you. Mm. Um, but those models kind of fall flat. And there's another model where you're like standing head to head and in, in confrontation and that doesn't work either. Mm. So the way we journey alongside folks is through standing side by side and sharing that journey with them on equal terms. And, we're literally just like walking the path with them and we can both go our separate ways if needed. But, um, but we need to think about how we're accompanying folks. If you're leading them, standing in front of them, they're not going to learn to do it for themselves. Or if you're carrying them, they've got to walk, man. Like you're not going to be there forever. Mm. So again, just these, it's really important with our philosophy of accompaniment, like how we're doing this work. And people respond to accompaniment, that side-by-side. And they respond really well because they're human, too, and they need yeah. friends. Yeah. yeah. Given given the nature of, of our podcast and all, we're, we're really focusing on, or at least part of what we're focusing on is is theology. And so I'm, I'm curious about what some of the, and you've kind of gotten into this, what some of the theological underpinnings are for the work that you do, and not just the actual work itself, but how you go about that. What what kind of theology undergirds this or, or moves it along? Yeah, so even though we're an interfaith organization, a lot of our theology, a lot of our philosophy of engagement comes from the Christian tradition, which is what mm-hmm. a number of us kind of were steeped in. And the first part of that is always that incarnational theology Mm. where God is not somewhere far off. Like God reveals God's self to us through flesh, through being among the wounded, Mm. through suffering and struggling alongside us. Mm. And we, when we go to places, to marginalized spaces, we're not the ones the only ones carrying the light in us we're finding god we're finding the light wherever we go because god is already with people who are suffering um the whole story of jesus is is the incarnation right Mm. god among us in flesh so if you look at where jesus went during his ministry you found him at the the places where the outcasts were Mm. right and if we Mm -hmm. if we want to be followers of christ that means we go to places where the outcasts are. We have instructions to go to jails. We have instructions mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be among people who are hungry and thirsty and be meeting those needs and changing those systems through the insights of the prophets. And so that's one of our theological underpinnings. I would say another is liberation theology. Mm. So that's realizing that you know, 
the Christian life isn't just about getting that pie in the sky when you die, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, there's a spiritual component to it. There's a spiritual liberation that happens for us. But we can't turn our back on people who are facing social, economic, and political oppression mm. because we're not called to just, like, go up to heaven when we die, you know. We're called to to embody and create the kingdom of God on earth as mm. it is in heaven. Kingdom of God, that's Ada Maria Sassi Diaz, right? That Yeah. She uses yeah. that language, right? I just want to point yeah, that out because I noticed you, you left off that G there. It sounded like, and that, that's, that's, sure uh, for anybody listening there, uh, you can check out, uh, Ada Maria Sassi Diaz's work. Well, I'll try to put a link to at least one or two of her books, uh, was, uh, Muharista Theology and, uh, In La Lucha. So we'll put mm-hmm. some of that down there for folks to kind of check into what you're, what you're getting at with that reference as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, anything else you wanted to say on that? You know, I think Gustavo Gutierrez describes the the kingdom of God as a horizon that mm. is always under our feet, but also always beyond us. Mm. And I really love that that articulation of it because it helps us to realize that the way we embody the gospel, which is literally translated good news to the poor, the way Mm. we embody that in our lives and in our actions and in our work matters way more than what we say. Mm. So that embodied theology, um, that prophetic witness, and that journey kind of metaphor of always having it beneath our feet and always having it beyond us, Mm. um, I I think is important. I like that. Yeah. Um, switch gears here a little bit and we'll, we'll sort of wrap this up. One of the things that I've found and I, I've seen this over and over again is that when folks are in work like this where it's often a daily grind because of oppressive structures, because of just the brokenness of things, because of all of that, people talk about things like self-care and work-life balance and all these kind of things. And I've found that most of us, many of us who are in this kind of work, um, don't do that well more often than not. We preach it. We all say, (laughs) like, we all know that we're supposed to. But I'm just kind of curious, like, what sort of spiritual, emotional, other practices kind of help you keep healthy and keep sort of a healthy work-life balance or something like that, but also that don't let you get detached, that, that sort of keep you engaged. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the first things is to make sure you're doing this work in a community and not again as a lone ranger. Um, none of us can bear the responsibility of being our brother, our sister, our sibling's keeper alone. Mm. Mm. That's that's the responsibility of a people, of a community, and. When you have other people to lean on, um, you're able to share that burden and not have to shoulder it alone. And that's been really important with our work at Open Table Nashville. We, we give each other breaks. We remind mm-hmm. each other that our human wholeness matters too. Mm-hmm. There's, there's this quote by Barbara Brown Taylor, and I'm going to paraphrase it. 
But I remember exactly where I was sitting when somebody told me this quote. And it kind of shifted things for me. She said, you know, your human wholeness is more pleasing to God than your exhausting goodness. Mm. Mm. I like that. Wow. Yeah, and I just, I realized, you know, we are fighting for a world where everyone is whole, and that does not exclude you, and that does not exclude me. Mm. It matters Mm. that we be healthy and integrated in this work, that we have relationships that we refuse to let go. You know, my husband, my partner, Andrew, Mm. I I have to keep that relationship front and center while I'm doing this work. Yeah. And I have to find practices. So for me, um, practicing, I think it's Walter Brueggemann who says, you know, practicing Sabbath is an act of resistance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the world that says you are what you do. You are Mm. only as good as what you produce. Mm. And this idea of Sabbath is that no, like if God rested, if God commands us to rest, then there's something holy about that. There's Mm. something holy about that space. And I I remember when I started this work, you know, that idea of boundaries. Um, when when I started this work, I hated the term boundaries. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I only saw people using them in a rigid way. I only saw people using them to separate themselves from other people and insulate mm-hmm. themselves from that suffering and those relationships. And so the pendulum swung for me and for many of us at Open Table, and we had no boundaries or almost no boundaries for a while. And that that was equally perilous and unhealthy. Mm. Um, And then I remembered, you know, I I have a biology background that's really not serving me that well on the streets. (laughs) Um, But I remember this idea of a cell and a cell membrane and the cell membrane has a semi-permeable kind of boundary to mm. it. When it's healthy, it lets the good things in. It keeps the bad things out. It's flexible. It moves. It changes over time. And that's kind of what I've learned to kind of model the boundaries I set um, on is that that boundary with flexibility. But if you don't have any boundaries, you're not going to know where like the other person ends and you begin. You're going to lose mm. yourself and the mm. relationships you care about in this. And that's not pleasing to God. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. your wholeness matters too. So I hope people will hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, tell me one of your all-time favorite stories from your work. Oh, my gosh. There, I know. There are so many. I um, know. I know. I'm going to give you an overview of one of my favorite stories that actually has played out over the last, actually, 11 years before we started Open Table. Mm. You know, when I was, before we started Open Table, I was working in Tent City, and I met this guy named Papa Smurf. (laughs) (laughs) Papa Smurf, that was his name. His partner was named Teresa, and they called her Mother Teresa. (laughs) 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 They're awesome. Um, They had so little, but they welcomed everybody that came into their camp. They had a hospital wing at their camp. 
mm. where they took care of people with mm. there's a man with two broken arms and a broken neck. They took care of him. Wow. Um, they practiced like, you know, Acts chapter two church where they like shared everything in common. Mm. Like I saw church more at Tent City than I saw in our churches. Mm. But they they showed me that. Fast forward several years and Smurf is at another camp. Like six years later, Smurf's at another camp. And he's really struggling. The police come in. They say they're going to close the camp. It's Holy Week, the week before Easter. And mm. so we help the residents organize to defend the camp. Um, we keep it open for eight, nine months until the people find housing. And Smurf is still really struggling. He, His mom has called and is like, hey, man, I need you to come back home to upstate New York. I'm raising your girls, but I need help. Wow. And Smurf is also self-medicating with, mm-hmm. you know, you know, drugs and alcohol because that's mm-hmm. what, how he copes. Mm-hmm. And so the beautiful thing was that after six years of knowing him and building a relationship and after his mom called, he was finally able to kind of address his demons. This is mm-hmm. long haul work for anybody yeah. listening. This is long-haul work. It is not short-term. Transformation can take a while. Mm. But he went to rehab. He went to detox. He went to rehab. He took his life back. He moved back to upstate New York with his mom and his girls. And every two months, he'll call me and give me an update. Yes. So last time he called, (laughs) I know. The last time he called, he was um, telling me that his girls are calling him dad, you know, and he's got mm. his own place. And oh. he just started crying, and he was like, wow. thank you for everything you've done for me. And I was like, no, like, thank you for what you did for me mm. because you showed me that I don't need to cling to my own possessions with clenched fists. I need to open my hands. Like, you, mm. you helped transform my view of hospitality and Mm. other people so it's you know it took a long time but he's incredible he's has so much to offer and is now a dad to his girls again so really beautiful story thank you and i know you could share uh, a million more stories probably just from the last couple weeks let alone the last many years but um are there any other questions that you would like me to ask you before before we end this Uh, anything else that you think is important that you want to talk about the, oh, I don't, I don't know if this will really um, feed in to what you're doing, but it's something I thought about from your questions that I just kind of wanted to add a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, getting nonprofits up and going. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was thinking that in the Christian world, you know, we get caught up in thinking that like growing the church is the most important act of our faith, right? Mm. But it's not. There's this theologian, John Caputo, that says, you know, the church is plan B. Mm. Plan A, plan A is bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And in the same way, I think a lot of us get caught up in like, okay, the way we're going to fix this is we're going to build this nonprofit, you know? And, the reality is that the work is so much bigger than that. Like mm. we only have to have churches and nonprofits because we haven't learned to live out the love of God. 
on the micro and the macro levels yet. Mm. And, you know, people call that larger work different things. Sometimes it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God. Um, Martin Luther King called it the beloved community. Um, our movement friends call it collective liberation. Mm. But I just want folks to know that, you know, churches are going to go under and so are nonprofits. Mm. But that's okay because there's this bigger work that we're all a part of in different seasons. That work is going to look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And we're not just trying to do this work for this year or next year. We're, some of us have committed our lives to it. And if we've committed our lives to it, we have to have that larger framework and we have to know that that doesn't all rest on our individual shoulders. It's it's a work that demands a community. So I would would just help people remember that. So sort of the work, the means and ends kind of deal that it's in, it's in the community that you find the community, which builds the community in which you find the community and kind of on and on like that. Um, Yeah. Which, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. As you know, I've, Loved what y'all are doing for years and we'll put, we'll put a link up to your website. We'll put a link up, uh, if I can find one to the Tent City USA documentary. Um, some, I know y'all have some other media stuff just so folks can get a better idea of what you're doing. Um, and and then, uh, we'll kind of mix your story in with some, the stories of some other folks we're talking to and hopefully, um, all said and done, so folks can glean some wisdom to, to figure out where, where they fit in, in all of this work in the world. So I really, really appreciate you talking to us today and sharing yeah. your, your experience and your wisdom. And, um, and I'm thankful for, for your friendship as well. So I really, really do appreciate you. Likewise, likewise. I love what y'all are doing with this and, and be like beyond this, like in your, in your lives and your family in your community and just the people that you and Rachel are. So, um, so I can't wait to see the kinds of podcasts y'all create and we'll definitely send them to other folks too, but I'm really excited about this and thanks for asking me to be a part of it. That wraps up our interview with Lindsay Crinks from open table Nashville. And we of course just want to give Lindsay a big thanks for taking time out of her very busy schedule with all the great work that she's doing to stop by and have a chat with us. Hopefully, uh, again, that you were inspired. Hopefully you took away some practical advice and some ideas about what it is that you might uh, be able to do with your life. Maybe you can invite some friends into this. We uh, hope, of course, that you would invite your friends to come listen to the podcast, but we we definitely hope you you walk away with some inspiration, some practical advice, and some ideas. So thank you again to Lindsay for taking time to come and talk to us. Remember that Lindsay has a book coming out, hopefully in the spring of 2021, called Praying With Our Feet. So you'll want to be on the lookout for that. If you enjoyed this interview, she's going to tell a whole lot more stories and a whole lot more about her work and her life in that book. So Praying With Our Feet, coming out with Brazos Press in 2021. 
For our next interview next time, uh, we're going to be talking to our friend Tanya Torp, who does some great work with young moms in Lexington, Kentucky, with the organization Step by Step. Um, We want to let you know and remind you that episodes will be dropping every second and fourth Wednesday, every second and fourth Wednesday each month. So come check us out again next time and you can hear another fantastic interview with Tanya Torp from Step by Step Lexington. In the meantime, this is Justin, the Rogue Minister, signing off from the Rogue Ministry podcast and we hope you join us next time to listen to another great interview about bearing witness to God's kingdom and being faithful to that which we have been called. And this is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host, Rachel at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.